Hello and hi. Welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks, and my very special guests today are brothers Ilan and Rajiv Dasani, the, oh, shall I say, the, the pair of raconteurs who brought us a Welcome to the Blumhouse's Evil Eye, which I truly adored. The The storytelling was rich, the cinematography was lush, and once I got it into my head that this was not a typical Blumhouse horror, that it was more of a relationship suspense thriller, a romantic thriller of a sort, all of my anxiety about where's the horror went away and I could really, really enjoy this movie. So thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, tell me how you came to this story because I didn't find out until after I'd seen it that this was an adaptation of an Audible original. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so this basically, uh, this was a play written by um, Madhuri Shekhar. Uh, it was an audible play. So, so it was originally for Audible, um, audible on Amazon. Um, and essentially, uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas's company, Purple Pebble, approached her about potentially turning it into a um, feature film. They connected with Amazon and Blumhouse. And we were actually brought in fairly late in the process. Um, Madri had written a screenplay <clears throat> already, and then they essentially we uh, they were seeing uh, potential directors to, to direct the film. Uh, we came on about two months before production to essentially give our take on it as directors. Um, and the main thing was the original play was entirely phone calls. So a lot of the of our job was to figure out how to make it cinematic, how to make the storytelling visual, how to kind of bring bring that kind of like a you know, directorial flair to it. And so we, we uh, pitched, we came on, and that was kind of how we became part of the process. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the discovery for me that this was sort of a modern day technology epistolary format, I'm like, how in the world do you adapt that into a film? This is awesome because the, the emotions that Usha and Pallavi, mother and daughter, go through in their, shall we say, hopes and trepidations about her relationship status are are so visceral, so real. It's like most women, they deal with their daughters. So when are you going to get married? When am I going to have some grandchildren? Oh, really, mom? Seriously? <laughs> That's 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 visceral. That's visceral. And how did you approach adding the the layer of paranoia that we see building in Usha as this story progresses? I don't want to spoil too much for people who haven't seen it, but this is a story of a mother worrying about her daughter finding companionship and then when she does she starts freaking out about it <laughs> because of reasons yeah. in her past <laughs> and it's one of those things where the daughter can't win but watching Usha's slow build up in from normal motherly concerns into full-blown karmic spiritual paranoia is a, a wonderful transformation yeah well, it's something that that in looking at at the story about this mother who begins to be you know to become more paranoid and more obsessed. I mean, really, I think that's that's tapping into to the primal fear 
that is at the heart of the movie, which is that the fear of a loved one in danger, especially one who is far away and you don't know what to do about it. And it's something where initially, Yanusha, because of the trauma that she's experienced in the past, she doesn't quite know sort of if it's the trauma or if it's real. And I think that that doubt is also something that we wanted to approach with the audience as well, where the audience, they also don't know. It's like, is, is this just her past demons are, are coming back or is this something real? And it's also something where, you know, I think that we, we wanted to get the sense of, of a woman who is, is struggling, but she also is, has to learn to trust her gut in a way that that's is, is sort of is a big part of her, of, of her journey from the start, because, you know, ultimately she does trust herself and she sort of, she has to get past this trauma from the past to, to go on and to finally sit uh, to um, save, save policy. Yeah, what, what I'll say too is that um, visually, I think part of how we were, I guess, uh, approaching how to actually um, kind of uh, visualize this paranoia and this kind of in, this obsession was through the flashbacks, through these kind of surrealistic sequences that show like imagery of water and blood and violence. And I think that was like one of the big differences from the audio play is we had those tools to play with. This also this kind of karmic idea of like we should cut your finger and the evil eye bracelet breaks and these small visual touchstones that kind of tell the audience that there's something almost karmically approaching. Because um, you're absolutely right. Like you, I mean, you mentioned earlier that this is not a, um, a, a traditional, like, scare a minute horror film. It's more of a, of, of like a, uh, of a, of a building dread and paranoia, and as Elon said, is it or isn't that kind of story. So it's, it's, it's a slightly different kind of thriller, but it's definitely, I think, intended to be a drama that draws you into its kind of like web, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a I'm more of a fan of the psychological horror, the 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 mystery horror than I am the the gore fests. But I was expecting mm. a level of horror, either like a supernatural element, be it a possession, a, a demonic presence. And once I wrapped my head around the fact that there that was not in play, I I was able to more easily appreciate the craft that went into making this film. And now, did you two split the directing duties? Um, not exactly. I mean, we, we direct together uh, on the onset. And what we basically, I mean, the way we kind of approach directing is, I think the like, benefit of having another person there is that we can kind of make sure you constantly check each other to see, okay, are we, are we making the right choice here? Like, like we would often agree, like our tastes are very similar, but they're not you know, identical. So we would often like have different takes on how to approach a scene or approach it, what shot to do. But it was nice. Like we, we sort of always stop quickly pitch each other and what, why do we think something's better? And we almost always kind of discover either if, if we're disagreeing that there's some problem in the scene that we have to fix, or there's sort of a, a, an overall even better way we both have now identified. So that's kind of how we tend to work. Like we we find that like the only real thing we have to split is like who says action, which we kind of like on the first day of filming we were doing it every other take, like he'd do it and I would do it, and that didn't work at all. So then we switched to doing it every scene who says action. But besides that, we're we generally pretty much work as a team. Okay, then I have a right. question. <laughs> The yeah. <laughs> the 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 story is split between Pallavi 
in the U.S. and Usha in India. Now, this could have just been me looking for clues too hard, maybe. <laughs> but it seemed like the scenes set in India had a more vibrant color palette than the scenes with Pallavi. Like the scenes where she was in, where she and Sandeep were together, or she was at work, seemed more muted, while everything in India around Usha seemed more colorful. And I was curious, was that just to differentiate location, or was that heightened color supposed to reflect Usha's heightened paranoia? Yeah. So all the visual choices, including the colors especially, was was a conscious choice. Because if you look at Usha's palette, you know, you know, India is is this colorful, vibrant place in general. And I think that 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 there was an intentionality that that as the movie goes on, you see that her palette becomes more saturated, more sort of uh, contrasty. That um, uh, as as she gets more and more sort of heated, and you know everything else. And if you look at Pallavi. What's interesting about her her world is that you see that at the beginning she's a little bit more of a regular of like a regular girl in like a nice place, and then the color kind of gets sucked out of her her world until when you're at at the Sandeep's house, you see that this is a is a cold, stark sort of vision of her that is sort of not her. It's sort of a slightly glammed it's like a glammed up version. Uh, 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 quality. So it, it, it's definitely an intentional choice to show the separation. And this becomes sort of very clear when you get to the flip screen where you see, where you literally see their two worlds, you know, that are on the same frame. You're like, oh, they are in two different places entirely. Um, so that, that, you know, I'm glad that, that you saw that, you know, it was sort of to, to subliminally show the audience that you know, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was wonderful. When I picked it up, it start, I started noticing it like the more control Sandeep had over every aspect of Pallavi's life, it seemed like her and her world were getting more and more washed out, just very, very subtle changes. And I was like, oh, this is this is the control freak suppressing her. Oh, my God, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, cool. Thanks. Cool. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what other what other choices did you make in slowly revealing minor spoiler here the monster that Sandeep really was? Because he, you know, even when he was at his most charming, when they were introduced, when she introduced herself to him, or he introduced her himself to her, there was still a an aura about him that under normal circumstances might have had her screaming run away, but she's got this pressure from her mom in the back of her head and it's overriding her instincts. And just watching Sandeep go from this normal stance to this more and more creepy controlling monster without really changing his demeanor that much it was it was uh, a lot of fun to watch oh thanks i mean um i think you know i think you you sort of nailed it on the head that it, that 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 was kind of the intention that that he he begins as someone who's very charming who's very kind of lovable but as the film goes on 
he sort of, you know, because, because, you know, I'll, I'll say that we, we studied actually, we like looked into the, the psychology of domestic abuse and what tends to happen. And some of it is obviously physical and violence, but much of, of what happens and the reason why the women often return to their abusers is due to the psychological manipulation. There's, there's quite a lot of, um, of like doing things like financially isolating someone, mm-hmm. um, emotionally isolating them, making them feel like they, they should be dependent on a person and their friends can't be trusted, like all these kinds of insidious things. And so we, we wanted to kind of, I think the, the idea there was to have someone who seems like, like the perfect boyfriend, like rich and wonderful and charming and handsome. And then as the film goes on, we, he keeps doing things that seem like they're nice, like paying for Polly's apartment, for example. But the more and more does it like we the audience are noticing that they're they're red flags you know as you said like it, it seems like everything seems good but the more and more happens and and it's sort of as you said it, it's almost too late Paulie's fallen into the web by the time we sort of figured out that he really is kind of not a great guy and that was you know it was it was that we wanted to push and pull quite a bit to make sure that it was sort of apparent but not always obvious if that makes sense mm-hmm yeah, there was, uh, I, I had read something a while ago about uh, patterns in relationship abuse where uh, sometimes you get a narcissist or malignant narcissist and they they go back and forth between love bombing and withholding and it keeps the person they're trying to manipulate off balance. And I started seeing the playbook in Sandeep. I'm like, oh, these guys did their research. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We have to give credit to, to, to Madre as well. And I, you know, I think that was a lot of it as, as well. That, that we, like, we spoke in New Orleans while, you know, like during pre-production to someone who specializes in human trafficking and specializes in, in working with victims of human trafficking and, and domestic abuse. And she really helped us, I think, identify a lot of the stuff. But a lot of it was, most of it was already in the script. And I think Madre had certainly researched the, these things as well. And it was helpful, I think, to have both a, a, a female and male perspective just kind of get a yeah. sensible side of it. I also think that that thing that, that that we were trying to avoid was that sort of that sort of stereotype of the wife beater abuser that we've seen a million times. And it's sort of like to show people that is that is the is just one example. There are lots of other ways where people manipulate and especially men manipulate and you know psych, psychologically abuse that is sort of really not shown that much in media. Not that I've seen. Um, and, and so this was a supernatural way to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how much did, uh, you work with, uh, Madri with the, the screenplay? Cause I know she adapted her play into a script you guys could shoot. Were there any changes that came up, uh, during production? Yeah. So, so in pre-production, when, when we first sort of, um, sort of, had read the audio play and Madri was working on screenplay. We, we had had, had a lot of sort of pages of our thoughts and really just thoughts for her as she was, was working on it in terms of things like the flashbacks, things like, you know, I think how, how to make it more visual things like how to do, you know, show that bridge fight and, and things that sort even, you know, and, and I think in terms of, of the story itself, you know, if, if you listen to the original audio play, the mother, she doesn't have that much doubt that she's right. And so that was probably our biggest addition to, to the story is to really bring in this doubt. You know, a lot of heavy doubt is like, wait, wait a minute. 
is this just because of what I went through or is this real? And because I think that that self-doubt is really at the core of her character story. And so we wanted to bring that up more. And so that, that was the biggest addition. I think that and sort of some of these specific set pieces and um, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the also, you know, I'll say to you that, that I think um, Madri's experience as a playwright, um, especially, and especially with the audio play was that a lot of scenes were exposition heavy, like, but like there were a lot of explaining ideas. And so, I think she did a great job overall kind of uh, moving those to being more, more cinematic, but there was just still like as directors, we, our brains always look for ways to cut dialogue. So we were, we, a lot of it was sort of trying to figure out, is there a more con- uh, expeditious or concise way to do certain scenes, even though there's very long ones, like we just were always looking with the opportunity to kind of do more with less, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, and, and like even in production, you know, as, as an example, there was a scene that we even shot in, 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 in production where Sandeep, it, it, it's like a lovely romantic scene where Sandeep like proposes to Pallavi and it, it, it was a nice scene, but we, we were like, once, once we got to the editing, we were like, Oh wait, why we don't need this. We, you know, that it's better. It, it's better for that to come out in the interaction with, with the daughter and the mom. And then that's, like we learned that they're engaged at the same time as the mom. It was a much more effective way to do it than to actually show it like that, than have a scene like that. Yeah, that uh, that that revelation scene, and you see the 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 worry and the near horror on Usha's face when she realizes this is happening all over again, and she can't stop it, or she doesn't think she can stop it. That was very very moving, especially in comparison to an earlier scene where Sandeep tries to give Pallavi that very extravagant ring and he gets irrationally upset because she thinks like, wait, no, we're, you know, we're too, this is too soon in our relationship. I can't accept this. And she's just trying to, to say, you know, I like it, you know, give it to me in six months when we've gotten to know each other better. But he just has this look on his face. It's like, run, go get the knife, go get the gun. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so for, for you guys, what was the most fun in in making this, like in, in either shooting or editing or, or anything? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I think the, the the most fun for us was just that we were working with really kind of like actors that were just I mean, it was they they were so amazing and they were people that we admired for a long time. Like especially Sarita Chowdhury, mm-hmm. um, who played Usha, she was a legendary actress and she just sort of is someone that I've admired for many years uh, since Mystery Mithala, and then all of her work on Homeland, The Perfect Murder, and and she's done so many movies. Um, but it was just like, it was sort of working with her and experiencing that level of, of like, uh, intelligence and craft. It was like kind of mind blowing. And I, I think we just, it's very rare for young filmmakers to work with people that good. So that was like really, really fun to be able to, uh, to, yeah. to, to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there, there was that. And, and it was also like, for me, it, it, it was fun as well to, have have this movie be, be, because I think that that we're we're kind of you know I think that I would say that we're two two kinds of directors. There is the director who loves the intimate sort of acting heavy scenes where you can delve into exactly what is the objective of, of the scene, where is the push and pull, and that's wonderful to work with and so satisfying. 
And then it was super fun to do the fight scene when you when you're throwing people against counters and you're pulling knives and you and you have pots and pans and you're drowning yeah, the sink. And the choreography of that would that was just fun because those were fun because those those were fun to do <laughs> and to figure out how to make it exciting and how to keep keep the pace up and how not to make it cheesy and you know and, and the actors kind of you know they they have an energy in those scenes you know as well because it's it's also sort of they don't do that many of those I mean like no one does so it's fun to do that kind of thing. <laughs> cool. Well. Rajiv Ilan, where can people find you online to keep track of what you're working on next? Sure, yeah. Um, well, we're both on uh, Twitter and Instagram. So uh, my Twitter is uh, 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 Dasani R, and Ilan's Twitter is just Ilan Dasani, and the same handles are for Instagram. Um, we post frequently, and we post a lot of behind the scenes from our films and um, and updates on upcoming projects. So. Uh, Please feel free to follow us, and we have a number of uh, TV series and feature films in development that we hope we'll be announcing soon. So uh, we'd love people to kind of follow along. So that'd be yeah, great. and uh, yeah, I'd say that the best way to follow to, to follow us is just watch the Oscars and uh, you'll see us there. <laughs> so. uh, I I I truly hope one day I will see you guys walk up there. The uh, and if if any of your future projects are uh, science fiction or horror, definitely uh, give me a shout and we can talk about them. Sounds great. I I think it's actually pretty likely because we're we're massive sci-fi geeks as well. Um, nice. And you know, and actually, I I'll mention as a as a side note, um, people can check out um, our previous uh, TV series called Jin, which is a supernatural horror, uh, teen horror, and then we made a, a a sci-fi kind of action epic in Jordan called Seam that can also be found online on on Dust. So I encourage people to uh, check them out. Uh, so if, you know, if you're a sci-fi fan, I think Seam in particular is uh, yeah something where yeah, seems seems on the Dust Channel uh, on YouTube, and then uh, Jin is on Netflix. So. Awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry to mention that. Awesome. Well, cool. Rajiv, Ilan, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back with more slices of sci-fi right after this. Hey there, Merle Lafferty, co-editor of Escape Pod here, and I just wanted to let you know, if you are listening to this podcast right now, then you probably would enjoy our very first print anthology, Escape Pod. Our 15th anniversary print anthology will feature a mix of stories, some of which have been on the site, some are reprints that may be new to you, and some are brand new stories from people like T. Kingfisher, Maurice brought us, Greg Van Eekout, and our own Tina Connolly. I also contributed a story featuring the universe from my book, Six Wakes. So if you are in the UK, you can get your copy October 20th, and if you're in the US, you can get your copy on November 17th. But check it out. We're pretty proud of what we've done with this, just like we're pretty proud with what we've done with this entire podcast for the past 15 years. Hey guys, this is Arjun Gupta from Sci-Fi's The Magician. You are listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. So yes, I liked Evil Eye a lot more than uh, Noah did. And I think it's because you go in expecting 
uh, more of a horror touch like you would get with uh, with a, a standard Blumhouse film. Once you get your mind around that this is more psychological, more suspense thriller than it is actual horror, it's a really solid film. At least I think so. Uh, you can come to the website and read my review of it. And definitely go to Netflix and check out their uh, their uh, series, Gin. I am looking forward to seeing what these guys come out with next, especially if it's sci-fi or horror. And let me know if you feel the same way. Feel free to call in. The number is 602-635-6976 or shoot me an email, summer at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. And if you're listening on either Apple or Stitcher, please leave us a review. Let folks know that you are enjoying the show, the interviews, the reviews, the fun here, and maybe they should check it out for themselves. You can follow us on Twitter, at Slice of Sci-Fi. And we're over on YouTube, youtube.com slash slice of sci-fi. You can find a bunch of reviews and interviews. And uh, the newest little trinket for you all is a curated list of creator and creatives interviews that I have found on YouTube. Uh, Interviews that I have found interesting and I hope you do as well. And yeah, feel free to suggest an interview to add to the list if one isn't already there yet. And of course, there is the website, sliceofsci-fi.com. Come on by, weigh in on the various interviews, leave your comments there, weigh in on the reviews that we've done. If you don't agree with a rating that we have given, supply your own and tell us why. (laughs) Start up a conversation because that's what we geeks do. We debate, we discuss things for years, for decades, because we can because we can and we love it (laughs) i'd like to thank everyone who is currently supporting the show keeping all of these websites and all of these podcasts online my heartfelt gratitude goes out to you all if you would like to add your support the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi add yourself to one of the tiers and become eligible for perks there are dvds and blu-rays and 4K UHD movies and 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 books, lots and lots of books. And since you are supporting me, I would be honored to supply many of these to you, fans and listeners and supporters, as gifts, as my thank you to you for supporting these efforts here. But if a monthly pledge is something you can't commit to at the moment, The PayPal link every now and then will be equally as helpful. PayPal.me slash sci-fi summer. As I said, every nickel, every dime goes to keeping all of this geeky goodness online. And again, it's all for you. (laughs) I do these interviews because I love talking to these creators. And I hope my interviews dive into nooks and crannies about their creative processes, about their passion for the stories that they're making for us to enjoy. 
That's what I like. That's what I get out of it. I get to talk to all of these talented writers and directors and actors. And it's, it's just fun. Trying to get more comics people on here, both here and at Writers After Dark, working on it. But that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.